land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast by The Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of The Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. This is our weekly two cent segment. We're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast. And in the two cent segment, we take a plain English look at the big three property news stories of the week. I'm joined by none other than Chris Bates. Chris, how's your week been? Mate, Pete, been very well. Thanks. Just um, head down, bum up in this household. Uh, we're going on holidays in a couple of weeks to Fiji for, for a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, all stay healthy. That's our goal for the next two weeks. And um, yeah, start to look forward to our holiday. Oh, I can't beat a uh, bit of Southeast Asia or oh, Fiji. I'm very jealous. I'm traveling to South Wales next week. Not quite so exotic. Uh, <laughs> not New South Wales, actually South <laughs> Wales to see my brother before I head back to Australia. So uh, I've never been. So I'll be interested to see if it's anything actually like New South Wales or whether it's just a an anomaly in terms of uh, the name. So I'll keep you posted next week. Uh, what else has been going on? I've just been watching all these figures come out the last few days. US inflation down below 3%, producer prices dead flat over the year. Uh, it's a pretty amazing change. A year ago, those prices were up in double digits for producer prices. And then uh, I've seen China's inflation is zero and producer, flies, uh, producer prices there are falling or heading into deflation. So it's all pretty interesting stuff. And finally things actually moving in the right direction we've had so much bad news on inflation it's nice to see something improving yeah it's interesting you say that pete i mean because i do feel like there's a bit of domination by um you know still there's this sticky inflation rates are going to go higher than we expect etc i mean on the, on the other side of the scale what, what are you seeing in terms of the inflation figures that aren't great i guess you know when you look globally right the us you know maybe they've got the genie back in the bottle maybe that's not an issue in china but 
what are we sort of got to be worried around inflation? Is there still some lagging signs? Oh, UK is struggling. Uh, they, I mean, they, their inflation rate went to basically ten percent, and I think the difference um, in some other countries, uh, UK's wages figures were out this week, seven point three percent. So, inflation went high, but then all the people have started demanding uh, higher wage rises. Public sector, you know, you've got people like nurses and government workers and. Uh, people saying, well, if inflation is 10%, we need a pay rise of 10%. And this is, I guess, how inflation becomes so embedded in the economy. I think the thing to watch out for, uh, in the US, it looks like goods prices are actually falling now. Uh, but it's those sticky services prices that we've got to watch out for. It may well prove to be the same in Australia. I think goods prices, um, as the economy starts slowing and spending starts slowing, you might see those start to fall. But things like you know, insurance premiums. I've seen things in the property market, strata fees, you know, suddenly, suddenly jumping higher to account for higher insurance premiums and things like that. So I guess, you know, similar dynamics, but we've just got to, we're a bit further behind on that journey because international borders were closed until February 2022. Uh, so it took us a, a while to get going on, on that journey, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, NAB announced in the AFR that there was, you know, quite significant pay rises that the, you know, the union sort of negotiated over the next four years, 5%, 5%, I think it was total of 17% over four years, plus the the ongoing battle, right, which we've spoken about a number of times on this podcast around, you know, do you work from home? You know, have you got the legal right to work from home? That's really um, CBA, you know, getting taken to court there, Um so I think, um, yeah, are we going to see a bit of wage price inflation here, you know, especially if it is in those services sectors and do then we have to keep our prices high? Like is, is it, do you think we've still got a big problem here and do you, do you believe that rates have still got a lot to go higher or where do you think we are on that journey right now? Yeah, well, market pricing over this week has really calmed down quite a bit. I mm. think terminal rate now 4.4. So that kind of suggests maybe one and done uh, i mean this obviously things can change uh, i think the thing uh, this is one of the news stories we'll talk about this week i think uh, with high population growth that will probably keep the lid on wages growth if you look at what's um, what's played out in countries like canada uh, the unemployment rate starting to rise now and that really will start to depress wages growth and uh, i think in australia we don't have sort of runaway wages growth that some other countries have seen um but uh, yeah until yeah, a lot of people are waiting to get a green light or a, a nod from the RBA uh, that they're sort of finished. And uh, so uh, Governor Lowe actually did a speech this week and said uh, monetary policy may have more work to do, but we're not sure. And um, as we speak, he's been replaced by Michelle Bullock as the new governor, so an insider appointment. Um, so you'd think probably not too much change in terms of policy, uh, but we're maybe not quite at the peak yet in terms of the rate cycle. Yeah, so I think this is um, the market expectations being bouncing around. And um, I do think in the last two months, we've seen um, buyers get very nervous again. I think sellers are very nervous and people with mortgages are very nervous. We've absolutely seen that. Um, they just want that certainty on how high a rate's going to go. And, um, you know, when there was a real dovish sort of, you know, talk that it was going to go closer to five, I think that really scared people. And um, I think you're right around the jobs. We've definitely seen that, you know, people aren't as gung-ho around, you know, swapping jobs. And that's usually when you get your big wage increase. Um, we've seen a bit of redundancy start to play out with um, our clients and have come to us as well. So, yeah, I think that also leads into, you know, wage inflation when there's a real mobile job market and everyone's switching and there's a, 
you know, you can even see the big tech companies like um, Atlassian and Canva and, you know, bring in sort of performance metrics, which they haven't done before. So I think everyone's bucking down for this potential recession, right? And that's not a market where you ask for more money. You really try to hope to keep your job. Um, and I think switching jobs and then going on probation is quite risky when you've got a big mortgage. Um, and so or starting businesses and, and, and things like that. So it really um, stifles innovation as well, which is a negative. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. So what are our three stories, Pete? We're probably 10 minutes in already, but what's our three <laughs> stories this week? Too much yapping, yeah. Uh, well, you're right. Monetary policy does work. I think that's the thing. We're seeing it all around the world. Things are slowing down. Uh, so uh, there's always media articles saying, well, what if interest rate hikes don't work? But they are working. You can see in all those forward-looking indicators. Uh, before we rip into the big three stories of the week, just one thing for your diary, the Rask Roadshow is coming up around September, October time. I'll be going to Newcastle, Port Macquarie, Wangaratta, Sydney. So uh, catch me at any of those events. I'm sure, Chris, you're coming to a fair few as well. So thongs in Hawaiian shirts at the ready and uh, make sure you book your tickets. Absolutely. I'm not exactly sure I'm going to. I'm definitely be the the Brisbane one, maybe Gold Coast, maybe Newcastle, um, down in Melbourne as well. I'm not doing my Melbourne. Sydney one's going to be a big one, right? So um, yeah, I look forward to uh, meeting any of our listeners there as well. So what's um, yeah, what is our three stories, Pete? Yeah, so if you're not familiar, every Sunday morning at 7am, you'll get our Two Cents podcast episode. And we basically go through the big three property news stories of the week, but also anything you want us to cover. So do send us your questions. So this week's uh, story number one, an unseasonal surge in new property listings. So for so long now, we've been talking about low stock on the market and then suddenly just in the past week or two, uh, listings started to pick up. Now, we've got some more granular data on that, so we can actually shed a bit more light on that story. Uh, secondly, has the rental price boom peaked? Um, SQM Research and CoreLogic both seem to think so, uh, their latest figures. And then thirdly, um, a story that we've kind of uh, touched on already, uh, the population growth superpowers around the world. So there's certain countries, uh, Canada, Australia, UK, New Zealand, that are really pumping immigration and in some cases at record high. So we'll take a look at uh, why that's happening and what it means, uh, particularly for property. So, Chris, let's kick off with this um, uh, unseasonal surge in property listing. So uh, this is not traditionally a time of year when people sell properties. Uh, listings have been declining, but just suddenly in the past week or two, suddenly a surge of listings. So what's happening? Yeah, it's interesting, right? So I think um, there's always people looking to or being forced to sell, you know, death, divorce, aged care, um, you know, just people naturally moving because they've had to with job change and location, et cetera, and they just think now's a good time. So there's always some listings on the market. But I think in this time of year as well, it's not a time where you usually make property decisions, you know, school holidays, winter, um, usually they don't ramp up till later in the year. And I think um, we've seen this real lack of listings at the start of this year. And then I think there's just been this little explosion this month um, when you look at the really unseasonal, right? And it looks quite concerning when you look at the chart because um, you see this it should be going down or it should be pretty flat and it's really jumped up. And I was like, well, that's not what I'm seeing for our clients. Our clients aren't saying, hey, there's so many more properties on the market. I'm constantly looking at you know, properties with clients and, you know, personally just tracking lots of different markets. It's not like I'm seeing this explosion of great properties on the market. And um, it's funny, Chris Joy, um, you know, who's still predicting this, you know, 2015, 25% price falls, um, you know, back from, you know, the highs of 2021. 
you know, he made a quote saying, you know, Alexander Phillips, the number one agent in the country, you know, particularly in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, called him up and said that there's going to be this explosion of people looking to sell. And I was just like, that just doesn't make sense. Um, and so I did a post on LinkedIn um, yesterday just saying, I don't know if that's true across the country. I reckon it's only going to be in certain pockets. And I'd, I'd say personally where investors are selling because we're absolutely seeing with our clients, investors, you know, especially ones who have got multiple properties, really be under the pump. Um, and people who have bought multiple properties prior to coming to us, I just want to make that clear. We don't um, recommend a, quant a quantity strategy at all and never have. It's more a fewer number of quality assets. But we get clients coming to us all the time with three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten properties, um, and they're the ones who are really struggling. And um, so, yeah, that that's sort of the the figures. We, what was your sort of take when you saw it, Pete? When you initially saw it, Core Logic and the AFR did an article on it as well. Yeah. So this was the the data point that caught my eye. So Tim Lawless, uh, fellow Noosa dweller, of course, uh, from Core Logic, uh, good guy, Tim. Uh, basically shows the number of new listings um, added to the combined capital cities is up 9.9% relative to a month ago. So that's a really counter-seasonal trend that you wouldn't normally expect to see. Now, it did make the point that the stock of total listings, hmm. i.e. all of the properties on the market, is actually way below average still across most of the capital cities and regional Australia, about well, nearly 30% below the five-year average. So I think some perspective there, uh, yes, new listings have suddenly jumped, uh, but the total number of listings on the market actually isn't that high. And yeah, we're certainly seeing this. We're buying actively for some clients in Brisbane. I think um, it's actually really hard to find good quality properties. And when you do, there's other buyers agents there and loads of competition. Uh, so a bit more stock is welcome. Uh, whether this trend carries on uh, over the next few months and then into the spring selling season. Well, that would be really interesting to watch. Now, Chris, you uh, did a bit of digging here. Um, speak, you spoke to Kent Lardner from Suburb Trends, a uh, good friend of the show. Uh, Kent, how are you doing? Um, now, Kent sent through some uh, more granular figures to help us understand who is selling, where in the country are they selling, and where are the stock shortages. There's really interesting insights here. Uh, from the guys yeah. at Suburb Trend. So, uh, Chris, uh, my reading of that is in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, northern beaches, inner west, city and inner south, the stock levels are just chronically low. Uh, but the real surge has really come from Western Australia, which makes sense because the market's been very strong, South Australia, but also, interestingly, places like Logan, Ipswich, Cairns, Mackay, Toowoomba, um, which I think ties back to your point. This is investors selling cash flow investment properties that maybe were once uh, strong cash flow investments once upon a time, but suddenly with a cash rate target of 4%, they're not, and people are offloading them. Is that how you read it too? Absolutely. Um, Kent obviously saw my point um, on the LinkedIn and just quickly picked it up and sent me um, you know, some numbers, right? And you can see it's a 300% increase in listings in the Western Australian outback, in the wheat belt out there, you know, South Australia outback, the Barossa Valley, um, the Darling Downs, which I think is in, in Queensland in the outback, you know, um, South Australia, Southeast, Central Queensland, Queensland outback. And then you're right, this is a bit of a concerning one, I think, is the Ipswich because it already had quite a lot of listings and then it's like gone from 280 to 650 um, and that's, that is absolutely wow, that's a where, big increase. yeah, I think that's a lot of the, we've seen this where, uh, what we call property people, we, you know, it's a nice name for property spruker. Um, 
basically they they encourage investors to buy in these locations outside of Brisbane. You know, it's a good forty-five hour drive, right? Isn't that Pete? You know, to Ipswich from Brisbane. Yeah, I I I, I think uh, when I lived in Brisbane for a number of years, and I remember whenever I used to go up to Mount Cutha, and you look across to Ipswich in the shimmering heat and you think gee whiz it must be hot out there i mean it's hot enough in the city uh, <laughs> but if you're going uh further inland uh yeah it's a, it's a nice little um uh, city Ipswich. but uh yeah. yeah i mean the there there is less scarcity in the stock there's more land release there's more new builds yeah um and i think actually we've just seen in recent years there was a big proliferation of investors going in to that market and it looks like they're now coming back out Again, and actually, again, more core logic figures there. They've sort of um, run some numbers to show who is selling uh, by cohort. And yes, we don't know for 100% sure uh, whether something's an investment property or owner-occupied, but based on their sort of analysis of the data, well, it is a big surge in investor listings. Uh, So normally, you know, about 25% of the stock on the market is investors selling. Well, now it's above 30 and in some cities, it's actually quite a long way higher than that. You know, if you look in um, some parts of uh, the country, so it does seem to be, um, as you exactly as you said, probably portfolio investors with two or three properties struggling under the weight of interest rate increases. And I think this is being reflected uh, actually in some of the stock that's coming on the market. It's not that good. I think if people are selling their least preferred property or their worst performer. And um, so some of the stuff that's coming up for sale actually isn't that appealing, uh, particularly for a home buyer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, going through this list, it's like, you know, Logan was on their massive increase. Um, bit in Adelaide, to be honest, but a lot of investors have gone to Adelaide in recent years because that's what's been driving up a lot because of the affordability factor. Um, you know, not to say we would encourage that. Um, bit in Perth, Cairns, you know, Toowoomba. Um, you know, Moreton Bay region in, in uh, Brisbane as well. Interesting in Sydney, it's like it's not really many areas. The Sutherland Shires had a bit of a jump. Um, so that's maybe people going, well, actually, I need to get out. I want to retire. You know, I think we we did see this at the height of the boom that um, a lot of people were potentially getting out of the northern beaches a bit because they're like, well, that money, never expected my house to be worth this much. And I think in the Sutherland Shire, it's a similar thing where, you know, they know they can sell a house that, you know, for a big gain, um, and then that's an opportunity because the Sydney market's been running a little bit. Maybe this is my opportunity to bank a bit of cash, um, you know, to put into my super and to retire. Maybe I've moved further south. Um, the Illawarra region is a similar story. There's quite a decent, um, that's sort of the Wollongong area. Newcastle got a 20% increase in listings as well. Um, and the the Hawkesbury sort of Balcom Hills region in Sydney was up 20% plus Blacktown. So, you know, these are the outs outskirts of sort of you know the outer ring of say sydney um and so or the you know middle to outer ring so i think um it's definitely something for us to watch right if this continues on for many months the thing that determines prices is if you're desperate as a buyer and you're competing over a small number of properties then that's more likely to start pushing prices up because you know you don't want to miss out too many times but when you've got choice and you know that you're the only buyer on it you sit back you just go there's no pressure for me to buy there's no urgency I've got lots of choice. I'm not going to go rush to my decision. Then you start seeing some cheaper prices. Now, why would I buy now when prices are falling? And then you so more stock is that's the key ingredient to you know to to flip the market. And it looks in these areas that you know if you owned an investment property in here and you listed last month, you'd be like, yeah, there's nothing on the market. But actually, now that you've listed because everyone else is listing, 
because it takes a couple of months to sell, right? You have to, you know, potentially get leave it, get a tenant out, get it ready, pick an agent. So when that negative news story changed in Mar um, in May, I reckon people said, well, quickly, let's get it on the market. And then in June, by the time they all got it on the market, they've realized everyone else is getting it on the market. So, um, yeah, I think this is a story we need to keep watching over the next few months. Yeah, it's interesting to see that Gold Coast over a four-week period, 24% increase in listing Sunshine Coast as well, mm. a bit of a smaller increase. But actually, if you look at all the regions um, of the seven um, sort of tightest markets, if you like, we've got Sydney City and in the south, minus 29%. Northern Beaches minus 33%, Inner West minus 42%, Sydney Eastern Suburbs, of all the regions in the entire country, minus 47%. So listings have basically collapsed. So, yes, it's a, it's not the same story all around the country. And actually a big chunk of this has really been driven by Western Australia, South Australia, and a whole load of those regional Queensland cities around Southeast Queensland, far north Queensland. So, yes, there is an increase in listings, but it's not everywhere, and it's largely driven by investors by the looks of it. Absolutely. And I think let's just keep watching this, and we'll report back to you on this two cents. So what's, um, I mean, what's, what's I guess this leads into the second story, Pete. What have we got for today? Yeah, so has the rental price boom peaked? So I think if you look at um, CoreLogic, they showed the rental price growth was 0.7% in June. So rents are still going up. But actually, if you look at the year-on-year -year figure past the peak now, and SQM research also showed um, an increase in the vacancy rate nationally from 1.2% to 1.3%. Now, again, there's a granularity thing here, um, particularly Hobart, really big increase in vacancies. Canberra is now above 2% rental vacancy rate and, and rising. Uh, so those markets have clearly easing i think um just as a general point chris where you get inflation either in um the rental market or just the the economy in general is where you get demand changes more quickly than supply can respond then you see this big spike and that's exactly what we saw uh, the economy reopened the borders reopened february 2022 massive surge in rental demand through covid as well uh, but the supply just couldn't respond quickly enough and certainly in places like Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, a massive spike in rents. But I think um, eventually everything gets priced in. The market sorts itself out. And um, I think it's it doesn't mean we've seen the end of um, the rental crisis. And there's, you know, we've got projected population growth over the next five years, which is massive. So, you know, with not as many investors in the market, I don't think it's over, but I think probably the peak of the rental price growth is actually passed. And that, I suppose, in one sense, is really good news for the Reserve Bank because they actually need inflation to start coming back down. Yeah, I think the we'd be more worried if vacancies were going up and more investors were entering the market and, um, you know, you're going to create this. Uh, well, that would be a bad thing for renters, to be honest. You'd actually just see a declining in rents, which would be better for renters but not great for investors. But I think in this market where we lead this into our first point where investors are bailing, well, that means that those are most likely going to get sold to owner-occupiers or even if they take three to six months to sell, which is what I would worry about in these. A lot of people don't sell their, their properties with tenants in them, right? Um, but maybe they are in these scenarios. Um, they're still, you know, not styling it and getting the tenants out. But I would say that, yeah, ultimately we've still got very strong population growth 
and we've got investors bailing, um, which is let, and they're most likely going to sell those property to home buyers. We're just not seeing many new investors because they haven't got the borrowing capacities to do so, or they're thinking about doing a home upgrade first, or um, you know, and they haven't got enough capacity to buy. They're worried about their mortgage on their home. So a lot of not that many new investors in the market. If anything, there's more investors leaving because there's three million investors' properties, right? Um, and you know, only a certain number of properties people buy every year. So you know, if that number of buyers drops, um, the sentiment to that, you know, doesn't change the number too much, right? How many investors enter? But if the 3 million property investors make a decision to, you know, sell, then very quickly you can get more investors selling than investors buying. I think that's what's happening now. Um, you know, and I think the rental crisis isn't going to go away anytime soon because the thing that would make that go away is lots more investors and um, less renters. And I think that's not going to be the case. If you look around the country, Hobart easing, Canberra is easing, Gold Coast, certainly on the Sunshine Coast, if you went back to the peak of the frenzy, there was stuff renting for three grand a week, 2,500 a week. Yeah. Now, anything in those higher price brackets is just sitting there. There's nobody, nobody's taking it now because um, uh, the balance of power has shifted and a lot of people are moving back to the cities as well. Uh, people can holiday overseas again. So many Aussies seem to be in uh, Venice or Florence or... You know, the Ashes cricket. Um, so people aren't being forced to holiday at home anymore either. So I think um, there's those parts of the market are all easing. I think where rental markets are still tight, well, Brisbane um, is still tight, 1% vacancy rate. Adelaide is 0.6, so that's very tight. Uh, Darwin still under 1%. Um, I think an interesting one to watch will be Melbourne. I think um, Melbourne saw a lot of people leave uh, when they... The economy reopened. A lot of people ended up in southeast Queensland. But if that's starting to reverse, plus uh, the Victorian government has proposed a new land tax change, yeah. which changes the whole scope of land tax for landlords, um, so broadens uh, the catchment, I guess, and also an increase in the rate, um, that could easily flow through to some issues. Uh, Melbourne, uh, the rental market, yes, the vacancy rate ticked up a little bit, in June, but the the demand for housing in Melbourne is going to be enormous over the next five years. So that one's kind of a watch this space because I don't think that one's over yet. Yeah, Melbourne's an interesting one. So we're not going to see many investors look at Melbourne purely because the cash flow right now is really negative. You know, it's always had lower yields down in Melbourne. So, you know, especially when you're looking at the housing market. Um, so investors have said, oh, look, I'm still betting on Melbourne from a capital growth point of view because I love the the, the city and I believe that the city is going to keep growing and I know they're good, going to be good investments but the trade-off has always been a little bit lower rent down there you know and a lower yield and that's really hard to justify right now when interest rates are so high it's a really big and so I think people and already it's a decent price to enter in the quality parts of Melbourne in terms of what you need to spend and so a lot of people are saying well I'll go for a little bit less debt I'll look at Brisbane as an option because it's a bit higher rents up there and I, I can justify the cash flow a little bit so i think that's going to you know especially when you've got issues with the land tax popping up as well um yeah i think there are a lot there's not going to be many investors investing in the melbourne market if anything more people leaving which is actually probably going to create further you know low vacancies and potentially some rent increases down there i would say why are the uh, rental yields lower in melbourne chris than say um in sydney is it because um supply is a bit more uh, amenable down there it's a bit easier to build I mean, certainly if you look at markets like footscray or docklands or you know some of those um inner suburban hubs there's been a, a lot of apartments built over 
I guess since 2015 or so. Uh, so I guess that would be part of it. But if you look at houses in particular, the rental yields are well, they're the lowest in the country very often. Um, is that is that just a supply story? I reckon it is a supply story. I think there's a lot of choice to rent houses. I think. Um, and I think there's a lot of choice to rent apartments down there. I think that's the the difference in Melbourne. They've been building a lot over the um, you know last five ten years, and Sydney haven't um, in comparison to the population and things like that. And maybe people are willing to travel a little bit more. Maybe the public transport uh, people are willing to you know not be right in the action as much as they were want to be in Sydney, for example, and competing over a small number of locations that have been underbuilt. I would say it's really a supply thing that. You know, at the end of the day, the population's still been growing down there. And, um, yeah, I just don't think people are going, well, why would I spend, you know, $2,000 or $1,500 renting this house out when I could got all these other choices? Um, and, yeah. Even the uh, the Airbnbs are really, really good now. I stay sometimes down at the South Bank in Melbourne. You can pick up almost a brand new sort of Airbnb unit in one of the big tower blocks and very reasonable Uh practically brand new equipment and um everything just kitted out perfectly and you're just a stone's throw away from all the action so and uh, don't forget actually i will be in melbourne for the rask roadshow and the wangaratta roadshow so get your tickets for those because um we'll be there uh with um bells on getting involved for that so chris final news story of the week um there's an old uh, adage in real estate which said something like, uh, find out where the people are moving and buy the land before they get there. I mean, this is a centuries-old saying. But um, looking around the world, there's certain countries that are just going hell for leather on immigration and population growth. Um, some countries, like Germany, have had some uh, social issues related to it. I saw a um, figure this week. So population growth from Statistique Canada, if my French is up to scratch, uh, population growth in Canada over the year, 1.2 million or just above. Now, this is just an extraordinary stat to me. If you went back um, a decade ago, population growth in Canada was running at about 300 to 350,000, maybe a bit higher on a couple of occasions. But suddenly it's like three or four times as big. Now, yes, of course, we did have the period during COVID where there was no immigration or very low uh, population growth in a lot of these countries, but they've suddenly snapped back to population growth, the likes of which has never been seen before. Um, I saw a, a stat from uh, CBA uh, out this week, Australia's adult population or 15 plus population, 2.3, well, two and three quarter percent growth over the past year, way outstripping the growth in the dwelling stock. Now in Canada, Jobs growth is, I say only, in inverted commas, has only been 470,000 over the past year. So the unemployment rate there has risen to 5.4%. So I guess that's what's coming for Australia in due course. But I suppose the bigger picture uh, question here, Chris, is why are countries like Canada, New Zealand, Australia, United Kingdom just going so hard on population growth? And is it sustainable? Yeah, I think because I think Canada is what circa forty mil or something, right? So, you know, one, I would say like two and a half percent increase in sort of it's wild. It's absolutely yeah. wild. <laughs> um, I mean, what are we having here? Five, six hundred is a huge number for us, but it was usually yeah. more around sort of that three, four hundred is, you know, the natural population growth plus the, um, you know, migration, etc. So. It's just a huge, huge number. Um, and, I mean, I guess if the people come there, then they're looking for jobs, right, very quickly. So, 
um, you know, that, I think you, you're expecting sort of similar things to happen here, Pete, where, um, yeah, we, this will, I guess, increase our unemployment rate, reduce the wage price increases, um, and then potentially, you know, take a lot of steam out of the economy from, you know, the wage increase. But ultimately, they they bring a lot of money with them potentially, and they also spend a lot of money in our economy. And so it's, it's a catch-22, right? When you've got high migration, it's great for overall spending and growing the, the GDP, but maybe it's going to also create some more inflation issues. You took the words out of my mouth. I think, uh, yes, wages growth will be killed stone dead by that kind of population growth, but it does create inflationary pressures on things like rents. It creates pressure on infrastructure, the housing stock. I, I think the, the interesting question is as to why. Now, I'm open to suggestions here as to why we're going down this route in so many of these, uh, particularly those countries that I mentioned. Uh, I think look, my reading of it is we've got productivity issues, there's anemic growth, we've got aging populations, and it's just an easy way to import growth. And also it slows the aging of the population. Now, if you look at countries like Japan and China and South Korea, they're going to face dramatic population declines over this century, um, possibly maybe a halving of the population over the course of the next century. And my reading of it, and I'm open to uh, other suggestions if anyone um, has a different reading on it, but is I think um, a lot of these countries like Canada, New Zealand, Australia, UK, they've seen this coming. Fertility rates are now lower. Um, we're not really replacing the population. You know, I think back to my parents had five kids. You know, that nobody's doing that these days. You know, two is plenty. Um, and a lot of people have none or one. Um, and I think they've just seen this demographic uh, train coming down the track and they're, they're getting on the front foot now and importing a very, very high population growth. And Australia is right at the forefront of this. As you mentioned, I think if you project out the current numbers, well, they're way over 600,000, probably 650, 680. I mean, I don't know how long we can sustain that. But as you said, it, it's a double-edged sword. It's... Um, will kill wages growth, but it could potentially reignite some inflation issues in other parts of the economy as well. Yeah, and I guess your sort of point here is, you know, buying where people are moving, I guess that's as Australia story um, and also a capital city. Um, I think that's where, you know, people move to when they do move here um, and, uh, you know, because of jobs and, you know, people they may know or their communities, et cetera. So I think, you know, if, if you're thinking about, you know, buying property where people are moving, well, Australia is a great bet for that, right? It's not like we are in China or Japan or where our, we've got this ageing population and I think you can buy a house for, um, you know, one yen in some parts of these old, uh, you know, old Japanese bathhouses, I believe, you know, that's, um, you know, people are giving them away because the maintenance is, is so big to upkeep them, right? So these aren't the issues we've got in Australia and I think... Um, you know, if you're betting on property longer term, I think we're in a very strong country for that because people do want to move here and they also do want to move here if they've got a lot of money, right? Because, you know, we've also looked at the millionaire index on um, in past episodes and, you know, I think we had the highest number in the world of millionaires, you know, not as a percentage, the actual number. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's good news for the longer term, but there's going to be challenges at the social level, the infrastructure level, at inflation, at integrating... Um, you know, with jobs and, you know, on top of other issues like, you know, automation and things like that. So, um, but yeah, ultimately for Australia, I think it's, you know, great news for pushing up property prices if, if that's ultimately what we're, think, you know, targeting our conversation towards. 
Yeah, new migrants. Um, it's like in Britain, everyone knows London, and that's where most of the other new migrants are. So people tend to flock to the same places. New migrants to Australia go to Sydney and Greater Melbourne in that order, and then South East Queensland uh, subsequently when they move internally. Because you know Sydney's the city. You know, I was a new migrant myself back in the nineteen nineties. My friends were in Sydney. I knew Sydney. I was never going to migrate to. Um, you know, somewhere in the Northern Territory because I just, you know, didn't know anything about it. And I guess the thing is that most new arrivals are renters initially. And that's why I think this rental crisis story, yes, we might be through the peak of the frenzy, but it's an ongoing issue and it's probably going to be for the next two or three years because of the sheer weight of demand from new arrivals. And most people who uh, step off the plane are renters at least for the first year or two. Um, So Sydney and Melbourne, there's some ongoing challenges there in the rental market. On the inflation point, um, looks like the budget might come twenty billion in surplus. So there might be some more cost of living relief in the budget in the post. So hopefully that can help to mechanically reduce inflation back down towards the three two to three percent target. So yeah, lots happening, Chris. So I guess those are the the big see, big three news stories of the week. I think in particular, it's just interesting to see the granularity. Yes, new property listings are coming onto the market, but they're not in Sydney's blue chip suburbs. Um, it's really driven by Perth, Adelaide, and regional southeast Queensland and parts of North Queensland. So, different uh, speeds, multi-speed market as usual, um, and uh, plenty of other stuff to keep us interested over the week ahead. I guess. Yeah, and I think the it's going to be one we're going to track um, in a lot of detail. I think it'll also be good to talk next week around any changes in this work from home sort of hybrid negotiation. I think there's lots happening in that space. But, um, yeah, I think also you got to think through is if people do start to list, I do think price growth may start to slow down because I think that um, buyers are really struggling in terms of um, what they can borrow. Just borrowing capacity is getting even tighter, um, another 5% down with the last two rate increases. So if there's another one or two. Um, there's just going to be this natural slowdown because you know the access to credit and how much money you can get access to does def- definitely does interlink with price growth, and so um, and then the appetite towards debt is definitely decreased because people are like, well, I've got to pay you know four uh, five and a half six percent now. Um, I'm not going to take that on that type of property. Um, you know, I'm not going to take that bet. I'd rather just keep renting. I'm going to be more patient. Buyers are going to get more picky. Um, and so, but I also think people are going to sit on their hands and not sell their good properties. And I think even if there was some people who decided to take advantage of the, the low stock in the market and sell, um, as soon as they believe that they can't sell for a, pri- a great price, then they're not, the listings are going to slow down again. So we may see this seasonal bump up in listings in spring even in the the quality markets but if that then meant that prices started to correct then i think you're going to see a dry up of listings again so um yeah let's let's track this one pete and um happy sunday to all our listeners and if you've got any questions or stories you want us to to cover please send them through um yeah you got any things to wrap it up today pete yeah, well, you can catch me on my daily blog, Pete Ward on Blogspot or at Pete Wardian on Twitter. But yes, definitely subscribe for the Rask podcast on your favorite podcast player and, of course, on YouTube these days. Uh, but do check out the Rask Roadshow. So um, drop us a line or you can just Google it. Get tickets for your local event because coming all around the country, Perth, Adelaide, um, Melbourne, yeah. Sydney, Brisbane, and some of the regions as well. Uh, Port Macquarie and Newcastle will definitely be there. So um, definitely 
come along to one of those. We love meeting people face-to-face and it's always good fun as well. Um, and as Chris said, send us your property questions. And uh, Batesy, if people want to get in contact with you, where can they go at Blusk? Yeah, we've had hundreds actually now reach out via the um, you know link in the show notes. That Basically, it's a little type form, fill that in. We'll chat to one of the team members and we'll figure out what's possible for you. So, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to help. Happy Sunday and uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning into the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.